It is time for another Salon Exclusive with me, Damien Barr, welcoming you to the podcast where you get to be the first to hear about the upcoming books that we are most excited to read. Now, there's a lot to say about this debut novel. It's one of those books that's going to be everywhere. It is by Maddie Mortimer and it's called Maps of Our Spectacular Bodies, a title that I love. It's got strong Maggie O'Farrell vibes. So Maddie is a journalist and a short film maker. Uh, she's been featured in The Times and her films have been screened at festivals all around the world. And in 2019, she completed the Faber Academy writing a novel course. And so I love it when people who've done these courses go on to get the success that they deserve from all the hard work that they have put in. And I love hearing, you know, what those courses actually deliver. The book itself, well, it says of itself, something gleeful and malevolent is moving in Leah's body, learning her life from the inside out. A shapeshifter, a disaster tourist, it's travelling down the backs of her canals, it's spreading. So that is the protagonist, Leah, who is diagnosed with cancer and that cancer is terminal. And the story is told from her fragmented stream of consciousness and it describes her life, her family, her anxieties and her own mortality. And sometimes the narrative shifts to the voice of the cancer. So it's really sinister, but very visceral. And sometimes it's abstract and poetic and it moves backwards and forwards between those gears. The novel is in part, as all novels are, inspired by real events. Maddie's mother passed away, which left her with this profound loss, allied really with a love of literature that she gave her. And it's this love of writing and reading that is her salvation. And that is why we have got this extraordinary book, which is both epic and intimate by turn. Here's Maddie with a reading. Hello, I'm Maddie Mortimer and I'm thrilled to be reading exclusively for listeners of Damien Barr's Literary Salon from my new book, Maps of Our Spectacular Bodies. Though it is first and foremost a work of fiction, parts of it are loosely based on or inspired by my experiences growing up. My mum had breast cancer throughout much of my life and from a very young age it never struck me as something she or any of us were battling but rather something we were living beside every day, a kind of abstract shape-shifting idea that came and went, something we all had to try and understand as if befriending it might tame it. By the time I was 14 it had spread to her lungs, liver and bones and that year she died peacefully, my younger sister and I by her side. I never set out to write about illness, or anything that my family experienced. I was actually vehemently opposed to the idea. But as the years went by, I kept returning to that space. The last six months of her life. A vivid time full of contradiction, of intense pain and remarkable beauty. Of banal domestic routine and disorientating unfamiliarity. It was such a rich, fertile ground, characters and voices almost grew out of it and demanded that I listen that I not dismiss the personal, but use it, perhaps, as a way into all the other things I wanted to explore. I was writing these fragments of prose poetry at the time that took place within the landscape of a woman's body, thinking a lot about the way our bodies harbour the events and the people that have shaped us and what this might look like on a page. 
So it was really the weaving together of these narrative threads, the world inside us, behind us and ahead of us, through which maps of our spectacular bodies began to find its form. The woman's body turned out to be Leah, and the book is really a thorough portrait of her life, her loves and triumphs, her secrets and failures. I also can see now that in some ways the book is an elegy to the fiercely close relationship my mother and I had, preserved in Leah and her daughter Iris. I can't wait for you to meet them. I loved every minute of writing it and I hope that whatever your reading tastes, whether you're a fan of passionate coming-of-age tales, speculative or genre-bending fiction, family dramas or just a good page-turner, you'll find something to love in it too. I'm going to stop talking now and read from the start of the book. The reading will begin and end inside Leah's body, but will come up for air in between. I, itch of ink, think of thing, plucked open at her start. No bigger than a capillary, no wiser than a cantaloupe, and quite optimistic about what my life would come to look like. I have since ached along her edges, delighting in my bare feet floorboard creeps across from where she once would feed, down to where her body bruise I have sampled, splintered, leaked and chewed through tissue, nook, bone, crease and node, so much, so well, so tough now, that the place feels like my own. It is perhaps inevitable that after all this time I have come to feel a little dissatisfied with the fact of my existence. This is not easy to admit. I suppose one can only be a disaster tourist for so long before the cruel, old ennui starts to set in. But the Greeks said that in the beginning there was boredom. The gods moulded mankind from its black, lifeless crust, and this is of course encouraging. Today I might trace the rungs of her larynx, or tap at her trachea like the bones of a xylophone, or cook up or undo some great horrors of my own. Because here is the thing about bodies. They are impossibly easy to prowl, without anyone suspecting a thing. Until, of course, they do, and then, of course, they aren't. The beginning of the end. Leah remembered two things about the beginning of the end. The first, the time it took the traffic lights to change. The second, the fact that nobody died. She was one crossing away from the place she needed to be, the surging rhythm of the city in her pulse, the day tripping quick towards rush hour. Her senses felt unusually alert, nicked wide open by nerves, perhaps. It was nice, a nice change, to feel this exposed, this alive, while standing at a red light waiting for the world to resume itself. A man in a suit that was too small for him sighed heavily and held a taxi. Two women spoke loudly on their phones, slices of their conversation burying themselves into the back of her neck. I told him, I said, you can't help how you feel. But the 2.30 slot tomorrow. There's some leftover casserole in the fridge you can microwave. No cash, I'm afraid. Won't be late. God, I always feel so bad. Remember to feed the cat. Leah pinched the velvet of her earlobe and thought about tragedy. Which poet was it that said an abiding sense of tragedy can sustain a man through temporary periods of joy? Which philosopher was it that said... All tragedies begin with an admirable quiet. Today had been full of clamour. Everyone seemed seconds away from catastrophe. The belt of a woman's coat bounced against her bicycle spokes. Cycling accidents were rising at a steady rate of 15% each year, more than 4,500 resulting in death or serious injury, yesterday's newspaper had read. The city just keeps culling. There is grief on every street, Leah thought. 
as the plump belly of a toddler emerged at an open window and her eyes flicked down the floors below, counting, jaw tight, as the toddler lent its milk-white head out in delight, resting its tiny fingers on the ledge. Four floors. The fool was four floors down. Florine is a pale yellow, chlorine is a yellow-green and bromine is a red-brown. A girl in a blue school uniform began lecturing her friend loudly on the subject of elements. The halogens get darker as you go down, see. Leah noticed the girl had thick, straight lashes that interlaced as she blinked, and a profile of rare, youthful prettiness, the kind that stood out amongst the mass of waiting faces, growing impatient at the crossing, and it was always so hard, she thought, so hard not to get distracted by beautiful things. Back at the window the toddler had disappeared. The window had been shut. This was, of course, a relief. She took a deep, heavy breath in through her nose, concentrating on the stretch of her ribs, the widening of her chest, and held it, trapped it there, the crackling warmth of petrol air. It had been two years since she'd walked these streets, crossed this crossing, two years since she'd sat, staring at the scan of her body and brain pinned up against the light, pointing to the dark patch swimming about the centre. That's the corpus callosum, the doctor had said, nothing to worry about. She let the long, lovely breath rush through her lips. Just the thick nerve tract, connecting one hemisphere to the other. A gap in the traffic had emerged, a clear path connecting one side of the road to the other. The light still hadn't changed. A man with matte skin made a break for it, which prompted the girl in the blue school uniform to dart out into the road too, pulling her friend behind her. It was then that Leah's eyes latched to the car, turning the corner, coming quickly through the afternoon. She saw the collision before it happened, felt the possibility of it collapsing on her lungs the way rain crescendos into something more than rain. A throat screech break, delayed smack of machine impact, the buckle of skinny knees as the girl's body hit the concrete. Leah felt time fold, the seconds doubling over. Oh my God, a telephone voice rasped loudly by her ear, but before she could get a closer look, the scene had flooded with people, all gnawing, clawing away at the prospect of a massacre quick as starving rats to sudden crumbs. Leah wanted to be sick. The girl was dead. She knew it. She could feel it. The new chill in the air, the slowing of the clouds, the dizzying shift of atmosphere when tragedy drops into an ordinary day like this. The crowd seemed to be multiplying, and all Leah could think was she would never get to tell her parents about the sort of day she'd just had. She would never get to take a chemistry exam or fall in love or know what a particularly nasty UTI feels like. She would never go to Manchester to study medicine, never become a medic or get to save any lives. And perhaps there would be other people that would die in years to come because of this very moment, because a man with matte skin had made a break for it and a young girl in a blue school uniform who knew things about elements had darted out into a road too soon and Leah had watched all the glittering possibilities of her life flare up and flicker out, just like that. She imagined the horror of walking over, leaning down with the rest of the rats, pushing the girl's hair gently off her face, to find that it was Iris, her Iris, her eyes stripped clean of their life. A perfectly functioning body, the doctor had said, and a happy, healthy brain, as if there really was such a thing. The crowd had parted a little, so that Leah could finally get a glimpse of the girl lifting to her feet, just as Iris would at three or four, after having taken a tumble. I'm fine, she was saying, as she brushed herself down, quite unharmed. Someone offered to examine her knees. I'm fine, 
she said again, only louder and harder, her face flushed pink from the shock. Leah couldn't believe it. It was, of course, a relief, but also the slightest bit disappointing. The girl's friend led her back to the safety of the pavement, where they both began to laugh quite hysterically, the terrible sound churning away into the violent city. The spectators dispersed quickly, clumsily, back to their journeys, ashamed of their bloody appetite, and Leah felt the edges of the place cool and settle, her mind collecting up all that had briefly unravelled as the traffic lights went from chlorine to fluorine to bright bromine red, as the world shifted down three octaves too late. By the time she'd got to the other side of the road, she had landed on Yeats. The poet was Yeats. She still couldn't remember the philosopher. Her eyes remained locked to the pavement until she reached the hospital. The doctor said it was bad news. It was back. She couldn't hear the rest. The room had emptied of all sound. There was only the chilling giggle of the girl who hadn't died. So faint it was barely audible at first. But as it grew clearer and closer, the voice was joined by other voices, those of London's lucky inhabitants who had all narrowly missed their endings. And like wave strengthening upon wave, their lament bounced between the brick and the glass of the city, before rushing in, at last, through the crack in the hospital window, filling up every inch of the room. It was you, Leah, not us. You. They. They. Seeds of her hope, choir of her heart, now they are all rustling awake. They, with their histories, plots, songs and remedies, stretch out from the mist-thick blanket of sleep, as word of my little disfigurement carries, like a gut-wind carves and cleanses a day, and I must admit to feeling a little pleased. You cannot polish a diamond without a bit of friction, after all, and it is beautiful, really, the way they yawn and twitch, shudder, click, sniff, wet, and stiff as dogs smelling ghosts, ready to try and snuff me right out. From the start of this book, we know that there is not going to be a happy ending, but the journey, and that sounds really X-factor, doesn't it, and cheesy, but it is true that the journey Maddie brings us on and the characters that we meet who we come to care for are worth that heartache. It's a huge accomplishment and the mark of a writer to stay with. Maps of Our Spectacular Bodies is written by Maddie Mortimer and published by the award-winning publisher Picador. The book is available now in an indie near you and if you'd like to support our podcast then you can purchase a copy through our shop on bookshop.org. I do think this book's going to be really big and win plenty of awards, so share this exclusive reading with someone you know who likes to be ahead of the curve. And if you don't already subscribe to our newsletter, then please do sign up so that you don't miss out. I can't stand it when people miss out. Thank you for listening. Join us again soon. Bye.